Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, it's great. Uh, yesterday in the Freedom Encounter, we covered that we used the prodigal son parable in Luke chapter 15. And uh, uh, we only did half up. That's all we used for the encounter. Jesus used that, the prodigal son parable to illustrate the power of the gospel and the love of God, how, how that works together. And uh, that it would actually bring total restoration to a person who has come to the end of their road. How many know that you got to come to the end of your road before you realize that you can't do it on your own, that you need God, you need, you need some help. Hallelujah. I, I came to the end of my road 50 years ago, and as the prodigal did, he came to his senses, and he repented, and he received the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior, and, uh, and life became new. Hallelujah. I like my new life. Much better than my old one. And the father in the parable, if you know the parable, represents God, which totally restores, totally restores. God's not in the reforming business. He's in the, the new business. He wants to make you new. He don't want to just rebuild you. He wants to make you new. So the parable... Uh, of the prodigal son, the, the father represents God, who brings the prodigal back to total sonship. The father, the, the most interesting part about that is the father ran to the son when he came home, and that's what people need to understand. You don't have to wait on God. As soon as you repent, he's there. In fact, he's there before you even do it. He knows you're coming back, he's running to you. And uh, you don't have to wait for forgiveness. You just ask for it and believe that God's going to do it. The father killed the fatted calf when the son came home and there was a great celebration. And he said this in Luke 15, 24. He said, for this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. How many know that that's a time of celebration? Yeah. Hallelujah. Uh, Jesus said every time a sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. You imagine what they're doing up there right now? All they're doing is shouting and screaming because the people are getting saved every second on the earth. You know, they, they, that's all they're doing is, is rejoicing. Well, that's what should be in this house. But there was another character involved in, this, in the story and this prodigal son's older brother. This is the rest of the story. If some of you are old enough to remember Paul Harvey in the middle of his program, he said, now for the rest of the story. You're going to hear the rest of the story now. And the rest of the story is the older brother. So let's read the rest of the parable. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never obeyed your, disobeyed your orders. 
Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The parable of prodigal son was the third parable in chapter 15 that Jesus told. And all of these parables were displaying the same message. The first parable was the lost sheep, which Jesus said the good shepherd, the good shepherd will leave the 99 and he will go after the one that was lost. Then the second parable was the lost coin, where the woman lost a coin in a house, and she took that house, ransacked that house, and looked and looked and looked until she found the lost coin. And she was so happy that she called all her friends, her relatives, and everything. She said, y'all got to come over here. We got to celebrate. I found the coin that I've been looking for. Well, the third parable it was was the prodigal son that, uh, who was restored by the father. And Jesus told these three parables for a reason, because he was telling them one right after the other, and, and, and who he was telling it to, he was telling it to religious leaders, because they were talking about him. This is what they said in Luke uh, 15, 1 and 2. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. My goodness, what kind of man is this? These religious leaders didn't have a clue about the character of the God in which they proclaimed to know. They proclaimed to know God, the Lord. But they didn't know who he was. They didn't even know his character. See, the character of the older brother represents the religious group that opposed Jesus' methods. They didn't like his methods because he wasn't, he wasn't in their system. He was a man outside of their system. They didn't like the way he was working and how the people were following him. They were, they were a religious group which speaks to those who proclaim to be Christians, but don't have the heart of the Father. Those who have a form of religion, but deny the power of God that actually changes them to have the character of the Father that gave them birth. But the key factor to this older brother's condition is the fact that he had to ask a servant what in the world was going on in his father's house? He had to ask a servant what's going on. He didn't know what was going on. See, there are people sitting in churches today, probably millions upon millions, they sitting there, and they don't know what in the world's going on here. They're here because they, they know they're supposed to be here, but they don't know what's going on here. 
or what should be going on here. There are some leaders that don't even know what should be going on in this house. The fact that the brother had to ask proves he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't know what in the world was going on. The problem was is that he wasn't close enough to his father to know what kind of man his father was and the character of his father. If he knew that, he would have understood what went on, but he didn't. He lived in the house, but he didn't know the character of his father because his eyes were blinded by religious activity. Remember, I said religious. I didn't say spiritual. I said religious. He didn't know the true purpose of, of the business of the father's house. He was in it, but he really didn't know why it even existed. He didn't know that the father's house was a house of repentance. That it was a house of forgiveness. That it was a house of salvation. That it was a house of restoration. He didn't know that this is what the house that his father had was all about. But I want to tell you something. That's what this house is about. That's what all three of the tabernacle churches are about. It's about a house of repentance, forgiveness, salvation, restoration for all those who are lost in need. It's about getting people saved. It's about getting people filled with the Holy Spirit. It's about getting people free from all the, the bondages that they're coming out of the world with. It's about getting them free. It's nothing else. It's not about entertainment. We're not here to entertain nobody. They got a lot of entertainment. Go turn on the TV. Go whatever you want to do. You want to be entertained. But that's not what this house is about. See, because the older brother didn't know what the father's business was about is why he became what he was. He had a religious spirit. He was caught up into the works of religion. He responded to his father like this. He answered his father like this. He said, look. You think he had any respect for his father? Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. What did he think this house was, a party house? I'm going to cover five sins of the older brother, which we can put in a caps, capsule. It's called religion. Many know Jesus didn't come to give us a new religion. He said, I come to give you life and life more abundantly. That's what I come to give you. And that's it. He didn't come to give us a form. He didn't, he didn't come to give us a form. He came to give us a life. That's what he came to give us. So let's understand the five sins, what they were. The first sin is that the, the, the older son was out of position. See, he was out in the fields of religion instead of being in the house of salvation. He was faithful. He was faithful to the services. He was faithful to the rituals. He was faithful to the ceremonies. He was faithful to the ordinances. He paid his tithe. He brought his offering. Just like people today, they think all I got to do is show up and pay up, and that's all God requires of them.
which were the religious leaders that accused Jesus of sinning with his, and eating with the sinners, they said, we're doing all these things. We, 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 we at all the festivals, we're there, we're paying the tithe, we're bringing our offering, we're doing the ritual. We're doing all of that. But this guy is eating and, and hanging out with sinners. How much religion does a person need to satisfy and to soothe his conscience? How much? How much you have to do so you feel right with God? How much? How much you got to give? You can't give enough. <laughs> you can't give enough to feel accepted by God. Can't do enough of works. That's why Paul told the Galatian church this. He says, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Somehow the gospel that I'm preaching to you about being free in God and your salvation is not by works but by, by grace. Somehow I think... You, I feel like I wasted my time because you're turning back to those rituals. Paul knew they were turning back to the Jewish rituals and the Jewish laws, thinking that that is what's going to satisfy God. That's the problem with the church today. We've got too many forms. Too many forms of Christianity. I have people in the world tell me when I'd witness to them, well, I... What, how do I know what church is right? I mean, everybody does, everybody does different things. They got different names on their churches and all. I say, you got to forget about all that. Forget about that. It's Jesus. Period. It's not Jesus plus the assemblies of God or Jesus plus the Baptists or Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus only. Now, the problem with these religious leaders and what they were, were in was that I, I got saved in the Assemblies of God, and, and uh, uh, I thought that only God spoke only through the Assemblies. That anybody else, they wasn't hearing from God. It was only us. And to realize that ain't true. See, we have to watch out, even us sitting here right now. I've been there and done that. That's why I'm telling you what I'm going to tell you. You can develop your own standard. We, we have a tendency, having a sinful nature like we have, I have a tendency of setting up my own standard of Christianity that if I can just do these things every day, if I can just do this I, I'm going to be good. And then I began judging myself by my own standards. Well, did you read your Bible today? How much did you read? Did you pray? How much did you pray? Did you give? How much did you give? Well, I got I to gotta do it to satisfy myself. See, if I set up my own standard, then I got to judge myself by my own standard. No, you can't judge yourself by your own standard. You got to judge yourself by God's standard. I'll tell you one, one example of that. When we were doing the church in Metairie, when we were building out the storefront, I was preaching out in the parking lot, 
And uh, they had a man across the street. He heard me because we had the speakers out there. He lived across the street. Uh, and he came over to listen to what we were doing. And after we finished preaching, people were sitting in their cars and we were transmitting into their radios and they were listening to the message. But when it was over with, we went in and we started working on the building. Okay, Preaching out in the street, working on the building. He comes in, he introduces himself, and uh, he was telling me, he said, my name's Chris. I said, yeah, I'm Pastor Carl. He said, man, what y'all doing here? I said, we got a church going on here. So he started telling me he's been a Christian so many years and what have you. He says, he says I go out at that gas station in the morning, early morning, like about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. He says, I'm passing out tracks, and I'm witnessing for Christ. I said, that's good. I said, tell me something. When you lead somebody to Christ there in a gas station, what are you going to do with them? He looked at me like a cow looking at a new gate. I said, what are you going to do with him? You led him to Christ. He accepted Christ. Now what are you going to do with him? He says, I guess I'm going to have to bring him here. I said, now you're talking. <laughs> But the point I'm making is he thought that all he had to do is to go out on the street corner and witness to somebody and get them to say the sinner's prayer and then walk off. No, that's not what God called us to do. We got to win souls and we got to disciple. It's just like our young couples here having babies. You can have the baby. What you going to do with it after you have it? Can't go leave it somewhere. It's not going to take care of itself. See, Paul told Timothy in the last days that that was going to happen, that people were going to have a form of godliness. See, he was kind of proud of doing what he was doing. I'm, I'm out there early in the morning. I'm giving out tracts, and I'm, I'm witnessing to people. I say, oh, that's good. That's good. You need to be doing that. But what are you going to do with a master? Our job is not just to go out there and get people to, to accept Jesus and leave them alone. No, we got to take care of them. But, but, but Paul told Timothy, having a form of godliness but denying the power, denying its power had nothing to do with them. Don't, don't settle for the form. See, when we come to Christ, God's intention is for us to be conformed to his image. That's it. Not conforming to a form or religion, but to his image. But the works of religion will keep you out of the Father's house, and you won't know what's going on. The second sin is that the older son shut himself out in Luke 15, 28. The older brother became angry, refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. This is tragic. God is telling him to come in. God is telling them, him to come in, and he refuses to go in. This is his father's house, and he refuses to go in. He became angry because his younger brother, who was repentant of his sinful life, was inside. He didn't understand. He didn't know about repentance, about forgiveness, about restoration, the new creation in Christ. He didn't know anything about that. 
He didn't understand that the power of the gospel totally restores a vile sinner. Doesn't just halfway, but totally restores a vile sinner. His sins are wiped away. God's spirit comes in him. He's a new creation in Christ. He's totally restored. So the religious think that righteousness comes from works. They don't understand faith in God. We're saved by grace through faith. The power of God alone. It's not by works. Being filled, baptized in the Holy Ghost. Religious don't understand that. They don't understand being delivered from bondages and addiction prevalent in the world out there. They don't realize that it's going to take the gospel to get people delivered. But the older brother refused to go in the house. See, they are professing Christians that are satisfied with staying on the outside. They're satisfied with that. Just, I'm, right, I'm a Christian, but they don't come into the house. They stay on the outside. But the father came out of the house and pleaded with him to come in. What are you doing out here? We're having a party inside. Come on in. And, 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 but he wouldn't do it. He thought the father didn't care about him, but let me tell you something. Remember at the beginning of the parable, when the, when the, when the prodigal son left, you don't read where the father went running after him and pleading him, don't go, son, don't go, son, don't go, son. He didn't do that. Let him go. Here, he's outside begging the older brother Come in, son. Come in, son. You see, the older brother thought his father didn't care about him. But the father cares about those who are professing to belong to him who are on the outside of the house. He's begging them. He's out there telling them, you've got to come in. God doesn't shut the religious out. They shut themselves out because they refuse to go into the house of forgiveness and salvation. God does care about the religious person. I've been witnessing to Mormons out in, in downtown Covington at the car shows. I, twice I had to deal with Mormons. I prayed for them. The two of them let me pray for them, thank God. God cares about these people. They're out there doing the religious work. They're out there doing what they think is right. But I told them, you got to come in the house. The house is Jesus. you got to come in. God does care about that religious person because they're the closest one to the house. <laughs> they're right outside. <laughs> you don't have to go far to get them. They're hanging right on the outside. So the, the, the older son shut himself out of the house. God didn't put him out. He shut himself out. He, he refused to come in. The third sin he had was self-righteousness, which uh, is spiritual pride, which, which is, stinks in God's nostrils. I hate to tell you that. But the, uh, the older brother said this in verse 29. He, he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and, you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat 
so I could celebrate with my friends. He claimed three things. He claimed to be religious. He said, look, I've been slaving for you all these years. I've been doing all of this work for you. I've been working. I've been working the religion. And, and I come up with nothing. You don't give me anything. Well, he claimed to be moral. He claimed to be just. He said, I never disobeyed your orders. He didn't have no visible sins. Like a lot of religious people, they got a nice outside. Outside, visibly, they're looking like they're very holy. He thought his works justified him to receive something. See, that's what religion does. You think if you really work, then God owes you something. God don't owe you anything. You owe him. We owe him. <laughs> he don't owe us anything. We owe him. Okay? He felt he deserved more. Just like a lot of people leave churches. Well, I didn't get anything there. What do you deserve? You don't deserve anything. You deserve to give your heart to God, like we're saying. All God wants is your heart. He gets your heart, he's got everything else. He gets your heart, then you're going to obey. You're going to do. But he felt he should have been treated better. He needed payment for it. All these years I've been slaving for you, and I needed something. But what religious people lack is faith. Paul says this in his letters to the Galatians. Chapter 2, verse 16. He said, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. We're, not, we're never going to please God by all the work we do. We're going to please God by faith. We're going to please God by faith. If I'm doing work in faith, then I'll please him. But I can't do works without faith that will never please him. We'll never please God without faith. The fourth sin that the older brother had, we lacked compassion. He didn't have compassion on those who are lost. He didn't even have compassion on his own brother. So you imagine he wasn't going to have compassion on nobody else if he hasn't had compassion on his own brother. He wasn't going to have compassion on anybody else out there. He told his father in verse 30, he says, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed a fattened calf for him. He had a tragic lack of compassion and understanding of God's spiritual feast that was going on. He didn't even call the prodigal son his brother. <laughs> he told his father, this son of yours. See, I don't have anything to do with him. I, I, that, that son of yours was out there living with the prostitutes, spending all your money, and, and, and now you do this for him? See, he felt above. He felt above and better than the brother. We're not better than anybody. <laughs> We're not better than anybody. <laughs> We're more fortunate than other people because Christ saved us, but we're not better than them. We are blessed, but we're not better than them. And he focused on the youngest brother's faults. 
He says, your son squandered your money. Prostitutes. He comes home, you kill a fatted calf for him. He ignored, the older brother ignored God's love and compassion for the sinner. And that's what, in, in our encounter retreats, people have to understand God's love for them. God wants you free. God has compassion on you. God didn't save you to be a slave to anything. And God's plan of restoration for everybody who repents the feast that they had. <laughs> Father gave a feast. That, that feast represented spiritual food. It represented assurance of salvation, forgiveness of sin, love, joy, peace, the fulfillment of complete restoration. It's been 50 years, and I'll never forget that meal. When I got off my knees, I was fed. I was fed everything the Father had for me. Forgiveness, restoration, love, joy, peace. I got off my knees. I had it all. It was a spiritual meal. The fifth sin that the brother had was spiritual blindness. He failed to see two critical facts that he had the same privileges as the younger brother had. He didn't know it. He was blinded. He said, he said, the father said, he said, my son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Everything the father had was there for him. He didn't take it. He didn't take it. And I'm telling everybody here that you are welcome to everything the Father has in his house. You're here. You are welcome to partake of everything the Father has in his house. And I want to tell you, he's got everything you need. All he had to do was repent of a religious spirit. That's all he had to do. And, and religious pride. He had to repent. He had to come into the house. Stop opposing God's love for sinners. I, uh, when I took over the tabernacle many years ago, 30 years ago, when I realized the religious form that we were in, I said, this has got to change. Because Jesus said, you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. It's going it's to kill it. And I had to change the wineskin of that church. And I ran into opposition. People opposed me. Can't do this. No, you're ruining everything. But I had to do what God wanted me to do. And that's when the church grew grew to 600 people, I had to break out of that religious box that we were in that I realized that we're never going to reach anybody like this. We're too happy here. Everybody loves one another here, and they could care less about the people that's out there. So he was blinded by religion. He was, he was satisfied. He didn't have compassion on those who was lost, not even his own brother. But the father said to him in Luke 15, 32, uh, but we had to celebrate. 
and be glad because this brother of yours. So now he's saying, hey, <laughs> he's your brother. <laughs> you called him my son, but I'm telling him he's your brother. He, we had to celebrate because he was out there. He was dead. Now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. We got to celebrate. The father was making a statement about his character. This is what I'm about, son. See, I'm about, this is what my house is about. This is what the tabernacle church ministry is about. If you are a son or daughter in this house, you need to know what this house is about. This house is not about us, but the house is about those that are out there who don't have what we have. It's about bringing the prodigals home. It's about bringing them into the father's house. The father said, my house must be full. I want my house full. And, and that's what's got to happen. And uh, it could be, your, could be your husband, could be your wife, could be your son, could be your daughter, could be your sister, your mother, your father, your friend, your relative. It could be them. And when they come in, guess what? You're going to want us to kill the fattened calf for them. And you're going to want us to put on a feast with music and dancing and all of that. People don't believe in dancing in the church. People don't believe in shopping in the church. People don't believe in jumping in the church. Let me tell you something. If that's your son or your daughter who was hooked on drugs, comes in here and gets saved, guess what? Somebody's going to be jumping. <laughs> Somebody's going to be dancing, and it's probably going to be you. Come on. That's what that house was about. That's what this house was about. Jesus said in Luke 15, 7, I tell you, that in the same way, there's going to be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. God wants his house to be a house of celebration. And let me tell you, the celebration in this house is when we see men and women like these two guys here and these women that was in the encounter, that's, that's when the celebration takes place. When we get the lost in here and they are restored, it's time for the house to celebrate. Celebration is in order every time souls get saved. Right. Hallelujah. Sam with me.